Well, again, if you uh, have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one back there. And uh, also uh, printed in your worship guide is the text, uh, but we're looking at Judges uh, chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. In the 16th century, uh, Great Britain started uh, a horrible practice that spanned over two centuries, and it was the slave trade. And uh, at the height of its uh, heyday, uh, it became known as the triangular route. What would happen is uh, Great Britain would send goods, usually textile goods or things like that, uh, clothing, to Africa. Uh, Then they would purchase slaves, and they would ship the slaves to the West Indies. And then the slaves uh, would produce sugar, tobacco, cotton, and ship it to Britain. This was 80% of Britain's economy, this triangular trade. And it dominated um, just kind of the life of Great Britain and its culture. People say that 11 million Africans were transported in those years. And statistics show that 1.4 million of them died on just the voyage from Africa to the West Indies. A horrible practice. How would this booming trade stop? How would the battle be won to end it? And I think what we will see it as we kind of go through the story of that and also we go through the story of Judges, wars are won, battles are won, when the hearts of people change. You know, our battles might not be as crazy as the story in Gideon, about Gideon. It might not be... Um, as crazy as the story of the end of the slave trade in Great Britain. But there are battles that we wage in our lives. Things that come up again and again and again. Frustration with work. Relationships that seem to go poorly over and over again. Money problems that just don't seem to ever go away. Battles before us that just seem insurmountable. Things that we will never be able to conquer. This story in Gideon that we're going to go through in chapter 6 today, I think is going to teach us this. Before the major battles in our life can be dealt with, before they can really be solved, we must realize that what God's direction is in them, the idolatry behind them, and our doubts that we can defeat them also have to be realized. So again, if we want to be able to conquer these wars, these things that are before us, these huge obstacles, before that we can do that, we have to see God's direction in them the idolatry behind them, and our doubts that we can defeat them 
need to be dealt with. And this is what we're going to see in this book of Judges in chapter 6. So let's again turn to it, Judges 6. I am not going to read the whole thing right now. I will read a little bit right now, and then we will kind of skim through it as I go on um, through um, the sermon. Chapter 6, starting in verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the, and the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. The grass withers, the flowers fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word. God, we pray that it would uh, bring just meaning to our lives. It would not just be something that we just read, something we just do, but something that would transform us. We just pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Well, again, if you're just joining us, we're going through the book of Judges. And uh, Judges, uh, like we said, ha- is kind of repetitive. It has these cycles. Uh, and the cycles kind of work like this. Uh, the people of Israel sin. Uh, God brings a warring nation against them to punish them or just to wake them up. Uh, they wake up. They cry out. God brings a deliverer, a judge. And this judge saves them from this oppressor. And then Israel does it again. And so the cycle begins and starts all over again. And this happens over and over again throughout the book of Judges. And more than that, uh, it gets worse and worse as Judges goes on. And so uh, you say, well, it's repetitive. It's the same thing. So why keep on going through it over and over again? Well, because every story is just a little bit different. And there's some fun things in each of the stories that we can pick out and also something that God is trying to communicate to Israel through these stories. And so the story that we're going to go over for the next three weeks is Gideon, this judge. And, you know, we only had like eight verses for Othniel and maybe a few more for Ehud. And, and there's only one chapter and then a long poem for Deborah and Barak. And now we have three chapters on Gideon. Man, Gideon, some of us, if we've been in the church long enough, we've probably heard some Gideon stories, right? You know, um, you know. He's pretty cool. He destroys idols, and he takes 300 men and destroys an army. I mean, you know, and he, he's able to really question God and bring out the fleece and all these kind of things. Yeah, Gideon, right? Uh, 
you know, that's the Sunday school version, maybe the, the one thing we're supposed to remember. But uh, if we, when we go through this book, uh, the, this three chapters about Gideon, um, something else comes out about Gideon. Um, I titled my sermon, Will the Real Gideon Please Stand Up? Uh, if you're in my generation, you think of the Eminem song. But um, if you're the generation before us, um, it's uh, To Tell the Truth, right? Wasn't that the, the show that they had three people and you would, they would lie and then who's the real person, those kind of things? And that's kind of what I want to find out over these next three weeks. Who is this real Gideon? Is he the guy that defeats this, the Midianites with only 300 men? Or is he the guy that only wants to destroy idols at night? Is he the guy that is great at questioning God and, and challenging Him? Or is he the guy that is just kind of belligerent and this runs back to idols when it's all done? My answer is yes. Okay, <laughs> yeah, He's both. He's both. How do we reconcile that? That's a fun thing. We'll try to discover over the next three weeks. But what I think it tells us, a major theme, is that characters or people are complex. Uh, why I do like judges a lot is because we live in uh, a culture where stardom and popularity is a big thing. Where we um, worship fame and success. And what's happened now is, I think, from kind of the, I see it's like the Michael Jordan age. Like, Michael Jordan wasn't really scrutinized his personal life as much. But now, you see, in an age of total transparency and the media follows you wherever you go, as we hold up stardom, we also realize that the people that we hold up are complex people, are they not? (laughs) They're pretty messed up at times. That as much as we hold them up, they kind of crash down to earth at some point in time. And this is the same thing about Gideon. We have held him up, maybe in Sunday school stories, but he is going to crash down to earth. What do we do with that? What do we do with that in our own culture? Why I really love the Bible is this. It speaks to the reality of the human person. It doesn't just tell us Oh, this is what you're supposed to be like, or these are virtues you're supposed to follow. No. This is how God intercedes in a broken world with broken people. Okay. So, what has happened? Okay, Israel is oppressed. Okay? Um, And we realize their oppression is pretty bad. Okay? You can see that uh, these... People with camels and many tribes come into the land. They take all their stuff. These people are hiding in caves, and then they run away. And uh, they do this for seven years. It would be frustrating, our community group pointed out. It's much like a bug's life, right? The bug's life, the same kind of thing. The locusts come in and take all the ants' food and take off the same kind of thing. It's frustrating, you know? And their frustration comes out in crying out to the Lord. We are in Distress. This is a problem. But how God explains what he does is different than the other stories. Here, we have a calling, 
a calling of a judge that is longer than any other calling of any other judge. He spends a whole chapter on just calling the judge. Before he even solves the problem, he spends all this time calling this judge. And here we see what he does. Let's look in verse 7 together, okay? When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, this is what the Lord did. The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the land of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So here we see this, that God sends a prophet to respond to them. If I was an Israelite, this would be incredibly frustrating. Let's take it this way for you. Let's say um, Randy goes, his car is having problems. He goes to the mechanic, right? And he says, listen, I've got problems with the car. Okay, and instead of the mechanic coming out, out comes a philosopher, right? And the philosopher says, well, let me tell you the existential problems with rotors, okay, or whatever it might be. What would Randy say? Listen, bro, I don't care about philosophy. I care about my car getting fixed. Israel has to be the same, same, same thing. We call for someone to save us, and you send us a prophet? To tell us our problems and tell us more about God? Fix our problems. I think the point is this. God is saying there are deeper issues going on than just me solving your problems. Before these problems can really get solved, we have to get to the real heart of the matter. And I don't know if you remember this, people, but you've done this four times in a row. So obviously a different strategy might be in order to get you to deal with what's going on. And so, he sends them a prophet to maybe bring out what the deeper issues in them are. And we saw a little bit of what they are. I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Then he goes on in calling a judge and spending a long time in calling this person. Go with me. Verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, uh, the Abyssalite, who his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, uh, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. <laughs> the irony is thick, is it not? So picture with me, here is Gideon. Um, back then, they used to, you know, thresh the wheat. They would, you know, bring it up and then throw it up in the air, and then the heavier things would, would come down, and the, um, 
the, the chaff and the stuff that was not good would kind of blow away. But if you're around people that can see you, to do that in that place, they might see, oh, they've got food, we're going to steal it from them. So instead, he kind of hides in this kind of wine press hole to do it so no one sees them and tries to do it there. And what does the angel say to this guy who is hiding in this hole, you mighty man of valor? I mean, that's like, okay, what? He can't even be out in the open and thresh his wheat. And then it goes even more. Here is an angel of God coming to someone, and here getting response to an angel saying, I, I love what the NIV says, it interprets it, um, pardon me, <laughs> excuse me, um, I don't know if you know the situation that's going on around here, but it's pretty messed up. And you say you're God, you know, you're an angel and you can do things. Um, I don't see God doing anything. And this is where the perspectives get a little bit kind of skewed or, or differentiated. So what is God's perspective on the situation? God's perspective is you, I've made a promise and a covenant with you. And you have broken it through your sin. And because of that, because of your sin, you face consequences by these people coming into your land. That is the situation. And then, you see, it's Gideon's situation, it looks like this. No, you've forsaken us. You're not even with us. So, at one point, God's saying, no, it's your fault. And Gideon's saying, no, 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 it's really your fault. Well, usually when there's a war between God and us, I think God usually wins. Um, so his perspective is a little bit gone. <laughs> think about it in our own lives. Um, when we have battles or struggles that we're facing that come at us over and over again, a tendency for some of us is to blame others or to blame God for the situation that we're in. Especially in an entitlement age, right? Well, come on, millennials, we'll FS up, we're entitled, right? When problems come, man, it's someone else's fault. It's God's fault, right? But how, some of the times, it's really, the situation that we're in is sometimes our fault. <laughs> we have gotten ourselves in the situation that we're in. And then when we say, God, remove the obstacles that are in our way, God is saying and said, no, if I remove the obstacle that is in your way, you will never take responsibility for your actions, for one. And two, maybe if it's not your fault, if I remove this obstacle that's in your way, you will never develop the character that I want in you, so when another obstacle comes in your way, you can be able to overcome that. God, through Gideon, is saying, Gideon, this problem cannot be solved in the way that you think. You need to think of it in a different way. I want to do something in you so it does not just happen the next time. This is where it gets crazy again, that Gideon knows this drill, okay? He's been in a culture where there's many different gods over time. And what is the drill? Okay, great. You say you can solve my problems. You can find a solution. I've heard this from Baal. I've heard this from other gods. I've heard this from other cultures. 
I will appease you. And this is so funny. He tells the angel, Lord, please look at me, verse 18. Um, please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. He tells an angel of God, you just stay here, okay, for a little bit. I'm going to go get something, and we'll see if this works, okay? So he goes home and gets all this food and stuff like that and brings it back to the angel of God. I know this drill. I've heard it before. I think we've heard this drill, too. You got a problem in your life? You got an issue in your life? Okay, let's throw some darts at a dartboard, blindfolded, and see what works to reach the bullseye to solve my problem. Okay? Self-help book? Friend says I need that? I'll pick that up. Okay? Um, I need to spend more hours at work? That will solve the problem? Okay, I'll try that. Okay? Um, I will try a new back rub technique. You know, maybe that my wife will finally listen to me if I learn this one, okay? That will be good. I, I, do, I don't know what things you might say. There might be all these things to say, this will solve my problem. And we even do this in religion. Maybe if you go to church every week, maybe you start saying these prayers, then your problem will be solved. But what happens? Read with me again. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel, um, the angel of the Lord face to face. For the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. Gideon was blown away at the power of God. His holiness, his strategies were nothing compared to facing God and what he could do. Uh, William Wilberforce he lived in this time of slavery, uh, the slave trade. And William Wilberforce was um, a wealthy man through inheritance. And uh, he, at a young age, went to great universities and uh, at the age of 21 uh, became a member of the British Parliament at 21. And even at 21, he was known as the greatest orator in the British Parliament at age 21. And he was good friends at that time with the Prime Minister, also a young man named William Pitt. Um, Wilberforce was a playboy. He... Uh, Caroused, he drank heavily, he played cards, not saying it's bad to play cards or drink or anything like that, but that's, he did it to kind of excess. And a good friend of him who used to be uh, kind of a schoolmaster said, um, Wilberforce, have you thought about God? And Wilberforce said, ah, you, know, you know, that doesn't really work for me. I've seen how these Methodists are and this revival mentality or evangelicals that those days were called. And I just, I can't do it. Well, through conversations with this man, 
his heart started to change. And he made this thing, I'm going to wake up early and spend time with the Lord and pray. And one day, something happened to him. He faced a holy God. And this is what happened when he faced a holy God. He wrote this. As soon as I recollected seriously the deep guilt and black ingratitude of my past life, it forced itself on me in the strongest colors. And I condemned myself of having wasted precious time and opportunities and talents. It was not so much the fear of punishment by which I was afflicted as the sense of my great sinfulness in having so long neglected the unspeakable mercies of my God and Savior. I was filled with sorrow. I am sure no human being could suffer more than I did for some months. Wilberforce, like Gideon, was hit in the face with the holiness of God. That no matter the situation that Gideon faced, no matter the situation that Wilberforce faced, no matter the situation that we might face, when we look at a holy God in our own situation, it transcends. It's above how we got there, what we did to get there, our own sin, and His ability to conquer anything that might get in our way. I don't know if you've been there. I have. There have been flashes where God has shown me how deep my sin really is and how much my problems have really resulted in a lot of the situations that I'm in. And if you've ever been in that place, it drives you to your knees fast. It's just overwhelming. Maybe you're not, that might sound really metaphysical and crazy to you, or spiritual. You're not that kind of person. I encourage you, if you haven't been there, pray, God, show me. Show me your holiness in my situation. And more than that, I think God has shown us that. Where has there been a sacrifice where God shows His great love that is so powerful, that is so things it drives us to our knees? Is not the cross a picture of that kind of sacrifice that was here in Gideon? How mighty and how great that God Himself, the King of us all, went upon a cross. That is that same blown away holiness of God that he would do that. That is a picture for us, for all of us to see. Do you know what the good news is? The good news of Gideon's picture of God's holiness and the good picture of the cross's holiness is this, that God said to Gideon, Gideon was scared for his life, I'm going to die because I'm in front of God. He said, peace. The cross says the same thing to us. It says, peace to you. No matter what you've done to get in your situation, no matter the sin that is in your life, no matter what you are facing, I don't say, get with the program. Suck it up. How dare you doubt me? No, God instead says, peace be to you. I have given you forgiveness and love and I will work through you in this situation that you're facing. 
it goes on. 25 through 27, you kind of see what happens. Um, quickly, um, the Lord tells Gideon to do something after this incident. He says, that night I want you to go take a bull from your father. I think it was just one bull because um, he one bull tore down the idols. It was helpful for the bull to tear down the idols that were up there. Uh, and first of all, it's kind of weird. His father is kind of the priest of Baal's. <laughs> you know, he's the head of the idols in town, uh, which is kind of crazy to begin with. And uh, so he tears down his father's idols and then sacrifices his, his father's bull, which, wow, it's insane. Um, and so he does that because God tells him to do it. And, of course, the response is not really good. It doesn't so much come from his father, but from people in town. They are so upset that these things were torn down, they want to kill him. And, uh, you know, there's an incident, I won't go into details here, but um, uh, Gideon's um, father kind of rescues him from the situation, says that Baal can contend for himself. Um, why should we try to kill my son? If, if there's a problem with this, then Baal will deal with it. And this, uh, I want to just point out this. The problem is so bad. So bad in Israel at this time that these people would rather kill Gideon for destroying Baal than face the idea that they deserve death themselves for erecting these idols. The canonization, the rule of other nations and other gods has become so bad that these people would rather kill one that kills these gods destroys these gods, then face the consequences of Yahweh upon them. God is saying to Gideon, saying to Israel, before I am able to take out these Midianites, before I'm able to deal with this, you first have to deal with the enemies among you, within you, in your midst. Because these problems won't be solved until those things are dealt with. Um, I was in seminary with a guy whose marriage was falling apart. And he gave a sermon. And at the sermon, um, he was kind of vulnerable about what was happening. And uh, he had this, behind him, he had this like kind of cloth over this big object and we didn't know what was underneath it. And, you know, he didn't, I knew what was going on with his marriage. He didn't reveal pretty specifically what was going on. So there's an issue in my life that I want God to rescue me from, to help me from. And the truth is, I think that issue is the problem. But really, there is a problem behind that. It's idolatry, he said he was a sermon on idolatry. So he took the cloth and he opened it. And here was his TV. This huge television. At the end of the sermon, he took a sledgehammer. And he just started wailing on this TV. Just wailing on it. We talked afterwards. I was talking to him about it. And he said, you know, Dan, 
The reason my marriage is falling apart is because the idols within my heart. That TV was my idol. That was the problem. That was the issue behind my, my marriage. I want to take it one step deeper. You want to solve the problems in your life, the issues that you're dealing with? There is idolatry behind it. Example, security. If security is your idol, I want to be comfortable. I want to be okay in the situation I am in. It manifests itself, I'm going to buy things that will make me feel comfortable. I will spend over what I should, and then you're in debt or whatever issues that you might be facing. Well, let's say you do this. Okay, I'm buckling down on my spending habits. I'm going to cut up the credit cards. I'm going to do all that. That might work for a little bit. But what you're going to do is the idle security does not go away. You will just transfer your security in material goods to security in other things. Like, soon you might just transfer your security issues to your kids. Okay, if I want security, I want my kids to be around me. I want them, them to be safe. I want them to have everything they need. And then problems arise there. God is saying, if you want to deal with the Midianites, if you want to deal with your real problem, you have to get to the heart of the issue. There is sin beneath the sin. An idolatry there that needs to come out and needs to be dealt with. When you deal with that, when you deal with that and you say, only I can be your security. Only I can be your comfort. Only I can bring you success, whatever your idol, idol might be. Then you'll be able to face the next thing that comes your way. If you don't deal with it, you'll just transfer the idol from one thing to another, to another, to another. Well, it goes on, verse 33. And it says, Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. Oh man, this is trouble. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Somehow the Spirit came on him and people were like, man. And he sounded the trumpet and all... Um, I'm, I'm sorry, these names sometimes are hard, but Abizarites were called out to follow him, and he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, and they all were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, to Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry all the um, and it is dry on all the ground. Then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. But then Gideon said to God, "Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece." Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. Behind our blaming God for the problems that we're facing or the battle that we're going to have to go against, 
behind the idolatries that we cling to in life to try to find comfort, security, whatever it might be, is this greater thing. We don't believe God will go before us. We just don't believe it. We think, okay, idols will comfort me. My whining will comfort me. Whatever will comfort me, God will not. And we don't believe that He can really do it. And here is that lack of belief in Gideon. I don't believe, God, that you really are, despite all the things he's done, I don't believe that you can do it. He doubts. He doubts that he can be able to conquer the things that are before Gideon. We were talking in our community group. It's easy to get anger, angry at Gideon, right? Look at all these things you've seen, Gideon. I mean, look at this. Get with the program. I kind of try, what if Gideon was in our shoes today? What would Gideon maybe say to us? Um, are you guys facing a nation coming in and taking all your stuff and then leaving and you're having to live in caves? Any of you guys having to deal with that right now? You guys facing serious devastation like I did? Do you guys have this book? Did I have this book that you guys have right here? This whole book of everything that goes on right down? No, I didn't have that. Did you have the story of a king of kings, a king that came to earth to save all of salvation in Jesus Christ? I didn't have that. I was just looking forward to that happening. It's happened. You know it's happened. Why get after me for doubting? I'm going to get after you. <laughs> How do you not believe? How do you not trust? How do you not know? You have it. And you still don't believe. You have it and you still whine and complain and worry about the things that you face. I'm sorry. I, I, since I'm yelling at you, I'm yelling at myself. I know I said that same to me. Um, William Wilberforce wrote to William Pitt and said, Pitt, I, I just... I can't do this parliament thing anymore. I just can't face all these problems in England, all that's going on. I, I, just, I just can't do it. And his friend William Pitt said, no, you can. He encouraged him to go to John Newton, the song that we sang earlier today, right? Be gone unbelief. Uh, the irony, I just totally forgot that Newton had read that. And so Wilberforce goes to John Newton and tells him he's had this conversion. And he says, I'm thinking about leaving Parliament. And Newton says, no, do not leave your friends. Do not leave this. You should be here for a purpose and for a reason. Something welled up in Newton about the slave trade, the end of this injustice. Spirit took a hold of him to try to change this. 80% of the British economy to change this. 40,000 slaves coming out of Africa from English boats a year. 26 years William Wilberforce sat in Parliament and fought for the end of the slave trade. 26 years 
He gave his life to it. And then in 1807, it ended. Something that said it will never end. It will cripple Britain. It will be the end of our economy. William Wilberforce, through the power of the Spirit, ended one of the greatest injustices of our millennia. A boy was uh, putting together a puzzle. And it was a map of the world, and it was really hard and difficult to put together. And his dad said, why don't you turn the puzzle over? So he turned all the pieces over. And on the other side of the puzzle was a, a really simple picture of a person's face. So the boy was easily able to put the puzzle together of the man's face. And then his dad said, turn the puzzle over. And he turned the puzzle over, and there was the map of the world that was very complex. And his dad said to him, if you want to put together the world, you've got to put together the man. Emmaus wrote, if you want to fix the problems of Appleton, <laughs> if you want to fix the problems in your life, if you want to fix the problems that are out there in this world, God says, put together your heart. Repent and come to me. Because when repentance comes to you, then you will see revival and change around this world, around this place. And that is what happened with Wilberforce. We can conquer. We can do mighty things. Even in being in a broken state. The story of Gideon shows us a man who is both a mighty warrior... And we see one that runs away from God, that doubts God, that in the middle of the night has to do this destroying of Baal. He does all these wrong things of trying to get there. But God uses both a man that is broken and a man that is mighty. That is the picture of the gospel. We are both sinners but at the same time adopted sons and daughters of God. So when we go into battle against the wars against us, whatever it might be in our life, if we lose focus of us being sinners, we will become overconfident, judgmental, and unable to rely on the true power of God to fight them. But at the same time, we go in there to battles saying, you know, I'm okay. I can, do, I can do this. We become anxious, guilt-driven, etc. It is when we come in the power of God's grace that we can take the gifts that He's given us, our weaknesses, our inabilities, and we can wage against the wars that are before us. The battle, the greatest battle, might not be what you're facing right in front of you. It might be the pre-battle, the things that you need to deal with within your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are mighty. You use broken people to do mighty things. Like Gideon. Like Wilberforce. Like us. God, You know the things that we are facing.
You know the battles that loom before us, whether it's health issues, money, job. God, I pray that you would do the work within us to be able to battle those things. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.